Free Church for, for many years and helps. I think, he's, I think he serves on the mission board. So it's encouraging even to see someone who serves, say, on a mission board and then see one of your own children actually be raised up and go to the mission field. And I'm sure Alistair is encouraged by God's dealing in the life of his son. So we'll uh, have the lights put uh, off and uh, we'll have the video play and hopefully it's a blessing to you. prospect of going to Kenya, there's a whole lot of mixed emotions now whirling around in our heads of being excited at the fact that all that we've spent so much time thinking about and um, planning for, it's now reality or starting to become reality. And so we're so excited about realising all of those things, going to Kenya, but at the same time there's also a degree of terror about what it's going to look like, all the different risks. I think that the kids really are in the forefront of our minds. The impact that it's going to have on them emotionally. Um, you know, we're going to a place where there's maybe not a lot of company for them. That's a, a challenge. You know, you're taking them away from family. You know, extended family, grandparents. You know, their schools. So there's a lot to wrestle with there in such young minds. So it's about managing that and making Kenya a home for them. It's going to be new, it's going to be different, but teaching them, do you know what's exciting too? It's different, but it's exciting. There are risks, there are challenges, there are all these things that we've talked about, but. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be chosen, to be able to work in God's great plan to further the church. And so we don't leave with a heavy burden on our back, but with excitement and happiness and a sense of wonderful amazement at what God has chosen to do with us. Doing that job of preparing his bride in a totally different part of the world, and we don't feel worthy to do that work, and in reality, we aren't worthy. And yet this is the wonder of how God works, that he uses his people, and he makes them worthy, and he makes them able to do the work that he has for them to do. What an amazing privilege.
I was born and I've spent the entirety of my life in Ballymena, in a busy Christian home, which is a great way to grow up with a sister and two brothers and two parents, both of whom were saved from before I was born. And so we had so many good gospel influences in our home. Um, I, like so many other in that situation and with those privileges, uh, made a profession of faith when I was very young, so young in fact that most of the details of that I don't remember and they've come to me uh, second hand. Uh, and that probably caused me some difficulty growing up because I couldn't remember exactly what happened and also the fact that I don't think there was a great deal of change in me and I don't think I really understood what had happened or what true conversion really is and what changes I ought to expect as a believer. And I was convicted about all of that then when I became into my teenage years. I was at a youth council camp um, and uh, I, along with numerous other young people, felt the same challenge that uh, we all were, you know, converted or believed we were as children and yet that's all we had to hang on to. We had no real living experience of being a Christian and so I asked the Lord to deal with me at that time and I believe that that's when truly he changed me and changed my heart. So I went on from that point, um, still walking well with the Lord, still living to, for all intents and purposes a healthy Christian life and yet at the same time it was clear to me as I got older that there were priorities that needed realigned in my life because when I finished my school and was then moving on to university, I was very singularly focused on success. And it was between my second and third year that out of the blue, my mum suggested to me that I spend my summer on a missionary trip rather than um, working, rather than trying to get onto one of these uh, schemes which will allow you to unlock career opportunities, which is what I really wanted to do. Um, but I took her suggestion on board and went on a missionary trip with New Tribes Mission. I didn't do it by half measures. I went to the other side of the world to Papua New Guinea for four weeks. My entire perspective was open to something I had never really thought about properly before. Of course, in the Free Presbyterian Church, we talk lots about missionary work, but I had never placed myself in that conversation until I went and uh, had that experience of training with new tribes and seeing how the Lord has a church in all the far corners of this world. And that struck me so, so profoundly that it actually totally changed my perspective on life and in the direction that I thought the Lord wanted to take me in. But I also had to think about other people, the people who would be impacted by that and probably the one person who would be impacted more than anyone else other than me was Emma. Glenn did come home and he totally, you know, changed his ideas about a lot of things. And I suppose that was a shock to my system and, you know, that was then a reorientation of my ideas and I suppose then we talked about that and then we actually went on a trip together. We finished our degrees and then we went to Papua New Guinea. And I knew in my head there were people who needed to hear the gospel in far off lands, but I got to see it for myself. And that's where it really affected my heart. When it had an impact on me then, it meant that we were both aligned now in our desire both together to go and reach um, people with the gospel.
That changed the trajectory of our family, which is what we effectively came home to do, to get married, to start a family, and we did all of that. I started working life, but all of that was done now with a totally changed direction, which is we're now pursuing what we believe the Lord has called both of us to do, which was to be missionaries. Like Glenn, I grew up in a Christian home. Both my parents were saved. Um, it was a smaller family. I have one sister, uh, but we had good influences growing up. We went to meetings, um, children's meetings, Sunday school, all the usual. And then I was saved, I suppose, at about the age of seven. I don't know a date. I don't remember the exact date. I remember mum was sitting with me. Um, and from that point onwards, there was a change in my life. After that, um, I continued in um, primary school and then secondary school. And at that point, actually, is when I met Glenn. Uh, we weren't in the same class at school, but I was aware of his existence. And um, we then met around fifth year, was it? We were put in the same maths class, so we bonded over our love of algebra together. And it was at the infamous Randallstown Youth Rallies where it all began. We really hit it off. Yeah. For Emma and I to realise that vision that we've been given for missionary work and taking the next formal step, um, we anticipated that it would be a lot faster than it actually was in reality. It was six years of home and family life, um, having our first child, Holly, and me working six years in a, in a regular job up in Belfast. It was difficult because we had to be very patient. We needed to wait until it was clear that the Lord wanted us to move on to the next step. And we were at a Bible conference in our own church, which runs every year, and Dr. Douglas opened up to Joshua chapter one and verse two and focused his attention on that day on uh, just a few words in that verse, which is arise, go over this Jordan. And that struck me massively, not just because those were relevant words, but because just two days before that, I had been reading those verses in my own scripture reading and I had been thinking about it and suppressing in my own mind the thought that, oh, the Lord is speaking to me, it's time to arise and go. I was thinking, Glenn, don't get carried away with yourself here, but the Lord accommodated himself to my cynicism by using Dr. Douglas that Sunday morning to challenge young people, and he did this. If the Lord is speaking to you, listen to his call, listen to the commission that he's given to you and arise and go. So the question for us was, what does arise and go look like? Um, and so for us, it meant uh, pursuing training in some shape or form. And we felt that the right place to look for that training and equipping for missionary service was with our own church. So um, we sought out training with Whitfield College of the Bible 
and I started that program in 2019 and I'm now finished four years of training ready for the next stage. During the course of the time that I spent at college, I was really fortunate to have an opportunity to visit the mission field, in fact more than one. I was able to visit Uganda on my own in 2022, and then in the same year we went as a family together to visit Kenya, it took Holly and George with us as well. And those um, experiences really helped me even to think through what does my role and my responsibility look like in missionary work? Because bear in mind all my previous experience had been tribal missions, reaching the hardest to reach, learn unwritten languages, all of that kind of stuff. And that was what I thought, that's what a missionary has to do. And I think seeing different contexts, seeing different kinds of missionary work helped me to see that in some parts of the world, your work is, is less, I'm on the front line and more, how can I help the Kenyans, the Ugandans? How can I help the people of East Africa to reach their own people? And I think the Lord even just started to shift my ideas about what the right and wrong ways of doing mission are. Kenya felt like a really special place. We obviously had mishaps that happened along the way, but it felt like a really special environment. The people, we really felt accepted by them. We really got on with them very well. The kids slotted in nicely. And that was something that we really noticed about going to Kenya. We formed a bond with the people in Kenya that made it hard for us to ignore. And forming relationships with people is something which God is sovereign over and we believe that. And so we look back now and see this was a part of how God was showing us where he wanted us to serve. The bond we felt was so special that he was confirming a place of service. Add to that that there's a wide open door of opportunity for us to serve in Kenya. There are no barriers, at least not yet, in that journey. And that is, I believe, part of God's seal, that this is where he wants us to go, as well as how he's clearly brought certain passages and portions of scripture again and again and again to my attention, all coming together at a particular time to show this is the way and now you need to go. As I come into the work in Glory Bible Church, I'm not coming into something that I need to start from the very beginning. A foundation has already been laid in terms of the maturity of the churches and that work has been done so much by the Reverend Malcolm Patterson and his wife Alison and I am so indebted to them for all that they have done already in establishing such a strong foundation for those churches now to build towards maturity. But not just the Pattersons, those missionaries who came before them as well. Um, all of that has been part of God's sovereign plan to bring us to this point. And so my work is going to be trying to assist those churches and the pastors of those churches who are Kenyan men 
in this journey to becoming mature and self-sustaining congregations. And different congregations are in different stages of that journey and it's going to involve in the future the election of office bearers. Some of the churches have those, some of the churches don't. Um, some of them are um, still just kind of like outreach congregations. They need to be constituted formally and then more young men will need to be trained uh, as pastors. And so I see myself as being a part of all of those responsibilities as I go out to Kenya. I see the missionary effort in Kenya as a church planting effort. There's no escaping that. It's just at a different stage in the journey than where I thought I fit in being the frontline pioneer, but rather being the facilitator in the background. The Lord has a plan for Kenya, and I believe Glory Bible Church is part of that plan. So if our goal is this work of church planting under the banner of Glory Bible Church, we need to understand Kenyans. We need to understand the way Kenyans think. We need to understand the way Kenyans speak in terms of language. And so our focus is going to be laying that foundation when we first get to Kenya. Language learning will be important for me too, to integrate myself into the churches there and to work hopefully time permitting with the ladies um, and with the kids. But um, there's also my children and my family to consider and it'll be about integrating us into Kenya, making Kenya a home. Um, and also then the prospect of homeschooling the kids is quite scary, but that's something that we're going to try to do. We have three children, Holly who is five, George who is four, and then Isabella is a recent addition, she is just five months. Life is going to be so different for our kids than it otherwise would be if we stayed at home. So that brings with it a whole load of differences that are scary for us. New risks, new this, new that. Uh, but also it brings with it privileges. They see in a way that I don't think our children are so readily exposed to because of the comfort with, in which we live here in the West. What it's like to live by faith and what it's like to have a faith that actually impacts day-to-day -day living and missionaries often find themselves in that situation far more regularly than we would at home. I think back to that seemingly insignificant conversation that I had with my mum about Glenn, why don't you try going on a missionary trip and it seeming to be something that was just so minor, yet that was what the Lord was going to use as a trigger to send me in a totally different direction. It's just a whole journey of seeing how God knows better than I do on so many levels as we've traveled this journey. Because if I wanted to become a missionary, and I did, this isn't how I would have done it, and this isn't the, the path that I would have taken, but it's the path that God has had us on. And, and as you look back, you have to always acknowledge His way is best, and He has brought us to the point where He wants us to be. And there's so much comfort in that.
I think when we started all of this and when you're young, you don't realise at that time how hard it's going to be to actually leave your family behind and leave your home behind. You're young and reckless and we're not young and reckless anymore. <laughs> we're older, we have kids, we have such a close connection with both of our families and the closer you get to that jumping off point, the harder and harder it becomes. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves of the privilege of sacrificing for God's cause. And there's a really well-known CT stud quote to that effect, um, which we tell ourselves all the time, which is, if Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. Thank you, Jack, and thank you, Stephen. Turn in the Word of God just for a few moments to Luke 5, fifth chapter of Luke. So I'm very encouraged, as I said earlier, to see what the Lord is doing and raising up these young men. And it would appear that uh, Glenn's role will be more, uh, probably more like Wesley Graham's. Those who've been around long enough and remember the, the Nepalese work, that the, the strength that we were able to offer was not in sending numerous people to preach to the Nepalese, but by sending someone who could equip the pastors, the Nepalese pastors, and Wesley Graham went out there, spent years helping to train the men that were there. And uh, that's a very key role as well. When you already have nationals who are prepared to preach the gospel, sometimes um, what you need to do is just help equip them. And uh, that appears to be the case in Kenya. So I'll be praying the Lord will give them organizational abilities a rapport with the people and uh, a heart for just, I guess, giving some guidance to the and training of the pastors there, maybe getting materials to them and other things of that nature. I was reading the, the other day in Luke 5, and I just leave a few thoughts with you. Uh, let's see, we'll read from verse 18. well-known scene here, Luke's account is given from Luke 5.18. Behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, he went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst 
before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. We have seen strange things today. There are occasions through the history of the world in which that is what men might remark upon what they have witnessed. Many crossed the Red Sea. For 40 years they ate angels' food, the Bible says. They drank water from a rock. They never repaired or replaced their footwear, even though they were walking regularly over those years. Those were, those were some strange things. During the life of Christ, John the Baptist was reassured that the Messiah had come. You find it in Luke 7, when he sends some of his disciples to inquire, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another and in the language of Matthew 11, verse 5, Jesus responds, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. Those are strange things. Things you're not expecting to see. In the time of the apostles, people spoke in languages they never learned. They healed the lame. They raised the dead on occasion. These were strange things. Strange things. And those miracles that you find uh, through the scriptural record, as I have said before, tend to come at particular junctures, at uh, times in which you're, you're seeing how God is authenticating a transition, in which you have the, the establishing of the Old Covenant era through Moses and Joshua, the establishment of Israel as a nation and so on. You have then the, the significance of prophets coming to the fore, the need for the prophets, giving the, the constant demise and departure of the, the temple and tabernacle worship. And then the establishing of the new covenant era with Jesus and the apostles. Again, you have this God giving authenticating signs. Strange things are witnessed. We have seen strange things today. Well, that's what we have here. That's the remark, and as I was reading in this, just in my own readings, I was struck by, yes, <laughs> there, there, there's a need for us to see, and because there's a need for us to see it, there's a need for us to pray for God to do strange things. The Greek here for the words strange things is paradoxus. It's found once in the Greek New Testament, only here. 
And the idea of it is something that defies expectations. It's contrary to received opinion. It is unexpected. It is incredible. And it is surprising. And when you think about that, and I, I was pondering that, thinking, well, the strangest thing, that which defies what we might expect, is in the condescension of God taking on flesh. In the incarnation, that's the strangest thing of all. And him going to the cross and laying down his life for us, that's the strangest thing of all, that God should ever love us and send his Son and he take on flesh so that the very blood of God, as it were, could be shed for sinners. Those are strange things for sure. But God does strange things. He does. He is pleased to do strange things, and we therefore should pray for strange things. You see how this results in the man himself glorifying God. You see how the crowd then are brought into this praise of glorifying God, and it serves then as a testimony, these strange things. So, as you have watched this video, you see another couple going as a family to a needy, a, a very needy part of the world, and they need to see strange things happen there. They need to see, you know, maybe an unusual uptake of Swahili and being able to grasp the language and articulate uh, with the people in their own tongue. Uh, there may even be uh, other aspects that they'll need to learn as well. And to learn that quickly might be, you might say, well, that's a strange thing, how quickly they learn the language. To be able to settle, to not have any sickness, to, to feel at one with the people and a burden for the area. It's not necessarily a strange thing, but it's certainly a token from the Lord. And so when we see people going forward like this, is it not our desire that it might be attended with strange things? And they're able to report, here's what God is doing. But not just there, but here as well. We can look at missionaries going into parts of the world, and there are certain burdens that that weighs upon us, but we have our own needs as well. And I was thinking about just the reality of, of all the children that are here in this church, and how we, we must pray for them, and how it might be a strange thing for every single one of them to profess faith in Christ and go on with God. Now, we can, we can pray for that, but those of us who are long enough down the road have more than enough experience to realize that there are those who don't take up the gospel. And if they profess faith, we sometimes fail to see in them any real evidence of transformation, any heart for the things of God. They may still come to church, they may still appear on the scene, and yet there's no heart for the things of God, there's no prayer life, there's no lively interest in the things of Scripture, there's no interest in evangelism, there's no burden for missionary work, there's no desire to be involved in outreach. And so in one sense, it would be a strange thing if every child in the instruction of this church was converted and lively for Christ. 
That would be a strange thing. Because our experience tells us that that's unlikely. So when we pray here tonight, we pray for the missionaries, we pray for the work of God, we pray for our own work here. You can just think about the application here. I'm just peppering you with some thoughts. Our children to be saved and truly be lively for God. Our children to be interested in serving God, actually serving God. An interest in the advancement of the gospel. Because again, if you hear Glenn testify that, you know, just raised in a Christian home, making a profession, feeling that sense of his own need to uh, be real, his own spiritual life to be real, he, he came that far. But when he came to going to university, at that point, he's still just thinking about his own ambitions, his own success when he's, what would he, I think he said his third year of university and uh, not, you know, just thinking about success and what he might do with his summer and his mom's suggestion to go to the mission field. I mean, he, he, there, wasn't, there wasn't that at the forefront of his mind. But it should be. It shouldn't be an unusual thing for Christians to think about foreign missions. It shouldn't be an unusual thing for our children, each of them, to wrestle with what God would have for their life, and including in that query, would it be in some kind of foreign missions or, or even pastoral work or something else? I think we drift, we drift in our existence at times just content that we're saved, content that we're reading our Bibles, content that we're part of a church, content even that we're maybe involved in some kind of ministry work, and yet we don't challenge ourselves and wouldn't it be a strange thing <laughs> if every family here raising children could in 20, 30 years be able to say one child from every family went into God's service in some fashion. That would be a strange thing. But we don't pray for it. And I wonder is it simply that we have not because we ask not. The Bible has given us these events, these mercy drops of, of God's love for men, His interest in humanity, Him sending His Son, His, His willingness to stop everything that He was doing to see the burden of these men to put their friend before the Lord Jesus, to condescend to that need, to address that need, and to use it as a catalyst to bring glory to God and make people go away saying, we have seen strange things today. We need to be praying. We've seen laborers raised up. We're seeing these, these videos. We're encouraged by what God is doing. We're very thankful for it. And yet there is so much more that needs to be accomplished. We have, we have vacancies in Phoenix. We have vacancies in Calgary in Port Hope, in Williams Lake. We have aging ministers. We have, I just found out, well, I've been unknown about this for some time, but there's ongoing, uh, reminded of ongoing interest in Racine, Wisconsin as well, a little group meeting there, wanting there to be a free Presbyterian church. But if that was to flourish, just like Williams Lake, it's like, who do we send? Who do we send?
who's available. And so there's a need for something strange to occur. For God to burden, even to the point that you're, you're actually willing to really pray, what should I do with my life? You grow up with interests in all sorts of things. I, I, as, as I said, I, I don't know, Glenn, my suspicion is, I know his, his, um, his dad a little. Uh, Glenn's probably a very gifted young man. I'll just say that. And so, one of the dangers when you're gifted in particular areas and the whole world is before you and careers and choices, passing exams is something of a, a matter of just, you can kind of cruise through it. When you're in that kind of place and you're comfortable, that's a very dangerous place to be. To just accept this is the course, this will be good for me. You look through Scripture, you see all these, whether it be Moses, who has all of Egypt laid before him, trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. The world is his oyster. And he needs to learn to surrender his life, be prepared by God for a far higher calling. And you see people like Saul of Tarsus, again, is trained. The most intense kind of training in the law. Disciplined. Motivated. Again, the world before him. At his feet. And he is brought to surrender his life. Lord, what would you have me to do? God's work needs gifted, committed individuals. It needs people to surrender their lives. And it would be a strange thing, a glorious strange thing, over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, to just see more and more and more people giving up their plans, surrendering their lives to Christ, because the harvest truly is plenteous. The laborers are so, so few. Now in the world of careers, they will tell you, well, that's an opportunity. If you have a decent paying career where there are very few people who are skilled, if you have various other jobs that no one else wants to do, and the demand is there, they say, there's an opportunity. It's a great career. Nobody else wants to do it. Plumbers are making a fortune. No one wants to go and get themselves dirty anymore. They're making a fortune. Another kind of career, they'll tell you all this stuff. Well, God's work doesn't promise you any kind of monetary benefits in this life. But you will stand before Christ one day. 
And will you have laid up treasure in heaven? Will you? Will you come to the end of your life wondering whether at that fork in the road you took the right path? Because something more carnal was driving your motivations. There is such need. If you're not called, don't go. But you have to start asking, Lord, what would I have me to do? We're going to sing.